You're listening to WRUU LP Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM, WRUU.org, Savannah Soundings, community radio with global soul. Hey, what's up? You're listening to Bring It In, and I'm your host, Glenn Pierce. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bring It In Show for all your sports questions and comments. The viewpoints expressed in the following program are not necessarily those of WRUU, its license holder, or its staff. Welcome in, everybody, to a beautiful day here in our Savannah studios, and I am beyond excited to welcome in immediately Doris Burke, our guest for today. She, You may know her from ABC, ESPN, Courtside. Doris, welcome into the Bring It In Show. As you know, I was in Savannah, I don't know, maybe a month ago, right around All-Star break for the NBA. I absolutely loved, loved, loved your city. It's good to join you guys. Yeah, thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, you're one of the most known courtside broadcasting names uh, in the NBA on ESPN. It's, um, like I said, it's a pleasure to have you on, but... When I uh, look at look at your career and everything you've uh, accomplished, you you actually went to college for um, like it. What did it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little nervous. You're the biggest host that we've ever had, or biggest guest we've ever had, and I, I just uh, <laughs> no, but um. Yeah, so I went to college, believe it or not, for social work. I thought I was going to be a social worker. I entered college to, to be an education major. I thought I'd be a high school teacher and coach. And uh, ended up switching to social work. Thought I'd be one of those two things. And boy, life will throw some things at you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. totally. Here's the thing, though. In college, I had bad hair, bad clothes, bad teeth, and bad skin. I was painfully shy, except between the four lines of a basketball court. So if anyone would have told you I'd be an announcer for a living, I'd find it laughable back then. And really, to be honest with you, I, I cannot believe how lucky and fortunate I've been in my life. To Basketball has shaped my life since I was seven years old. I kid you not. My family moved from New York to Jersey. There was a park right outside the door. And uh, I picked up a ball at seven, and I really haven't put it down since. It gave me an education as the last of eight kids from an Irish Catholic family that was pretty poor, to be honest with you. Um, without the education I received because of the game of basketball, who knows where I would have ended up. So I've been really, really lucky in my life. And when you say you started at seven, uh, the youngest in a family of eight, now, where'd you, where did you pick up the love? Was it all on your own? Uh, the love was, was it, it being, all on a, your own? Yeah. being across being from across. that basketball court? Uh, or were your older siblings 
were they involved in basketball as well? So you kind of just followed them to the court and that's where you picked up the love. No, to be honest with you, um, uh, so there's, there's basically 10 years between my oldest brother and myself. And uh, the older family, my two brothers were football players and wrestlers um, in their high school years. When, when I moved next door, so literally the day we moved, imagine, you know, a mom, dad, and eight children in this, uh, if you remember the Volkswagen buses. <laughs> yeah. So it's the 70s, and my parents have got the uh, curtains on the windows of the 70s bus. But we literally, the day we moved, I was being a nuisance. I was being an absolute nuisance, as a seven-year-old could be, um, as they're trying to lug things in and out of a house and out of a van and a, you know, a moving truck. And basically, my mom said, listen, there's a ball out there. The, the previous owners of the house had left a ball in the yard. And, I, I, and she's like, take that ball and go over there and play. That is how I found it. And the beauty of basketball is you need one person and you need a hoop. And I, my mother used to tell this story that if she wanted to know where I was, she'd simply open the kitchen curtains and look out maybe 300 yards to the basketball court. And what's so fascinating about the way different generations watch sports, it was appointment viewing for me. I had to be in front of the television on a Saturday or a Sunday at a certain time to watch Notre Dame, UCLA, and the colleges they chose to put on at that time. And if I missed those games, I didn't see college basketball. It's not like today where ESPN has, I don't know, 1,500 games per year. You can find basketball on any given night. And what I would do, and this is just so silly, but it's such a kid thing to do, I'd watch the game, and I'd pick up my ball, and we had these hedges in the front of the house and I'd run out between the hedges, just like I was running out of the locker room, find my way to the court, take off my jacket, which I had won in a free throw shooting contest, and take my way through a game. And just, you know, I'd pretend to be Kelly Trapuco or Mo Cheeks or all the guys I saw. And, uh, and the first time I ever dreamed about a college scholarship was they would have one women's game on a year. It was the national championship game I remember seeing Nancy Lieberman of the great Old Dominion teams, and uh, and they said, oh, these women are on basketball scholarship. And my eyes popped. I thought, whoa, is that a real possibility for a young woman, a young girl, as I was at that point? And uh, and you can see why I'm so passionate about the game, right? I, I just love it. I just love basketball. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely oh, yeah. hear. Do you have something you to ask? Love the game. Oh, man, I'm just enjoying the conversation. You know, uh, I did have the, a question in regards to your college career as I I didn't realize that you you were as good as you were when you left college and with the records you had. And I noticed that you had coached a couple years immediately yeah. after graduation. What what happened there in the point that you made a decision to become a play-by-play -play or, or a basketball, uh, you know, um, game announcer? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting, it remains sort of this pivotal point in my life because uh, I loved coaching. I mean, I loved it because what coaching affords you an opportunity to do, especially at the collegiate level, is impact lives. And I know some of the coaches in my life who gave me confidence. And I don't just mean confidence between the lines. I mean confidence in general. 
And, um, and I, I thought that was really meaningful work. Plus, there's something very special. And I don't care what field of endeavor you're working on, right? You guys have this radio show. You care deeply about your radio show. And you work, all of you work to make it as successful as you can. It's the same with any team. It's the same in a restaurant. It's the same in a Fortune 500 company. Everybody should be pulling in that same direction. And when you, when you do that and you do the work and you move in the same direction, then you find success. Like, what is freaking better than that? Nothing. Um, but here's, here's the choice I made. And I, you know, I often wonder how different my life would be because I do, I, I hope I don't sound arrogant here. I do think I would have been a hell of a coach. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get married and I wanted to have children. And at the time, there were a couple of women, Pat Summit, the great Pat Summit would have been the one everybody recognizes, who were doing both, who were married women with children and doing their thing. But I, at Providence College, my alma mater where I was coaching, I was in the gym no later than seven o'clock for individual instruction with our players. And not that I was working the whole time, but I would leave at about nine o'clock. I, you know, finish my recruiting calls at nine and then head home. And I just thought, I don't know that I can do both of these things exceptionally well. I don't know that I can be a, a, a mom, a family person and a basketball coach and give each each what's required. Now, maybe I could have, but I did make that choice. And the way I started my career was the year I left Providence College coaching, they put the women's basketball team on a local radio show. Nobody was listening. Nobody. I mean, maybe my husband, my then husband at the time was listening. Um, but, but, but what it did was it gave me an opportunity to get repetition. I had to be concise on radio. I had to be economical with my words. Radio was a great training ground for television in terms of being a basketball announcer. Uh, yeah, so that was the choice. It's interesting you asked that. And listen, I still wonder about it. I've often thought, what, if I retire from this, would I go back and coach in high school? I don't know. Who knows? I've learned not to make plans in life. Okay. I'm sure anybody you come across with as a, as a coach would benefit from that. So if that path is you, that would be awesome to see. Now, when you jumped into broadcasting on the radio, that's that's got to be pretty difficult. And like you said, you kind of were able to get the repetition and fine tune. But were you already did you feel like you were already at an advantage because of, I mean, the way that you were getting so many points and assists in college? I mean, you I'm guessing you already saw the basketball court in a in a way that I can't see it and it's it's the thing that saved me really it's the thing that saved me because here's why so picture I I'm doing radio and I'm in Providence where the big east office is at the time and somebody on that staff and this is what I tell young people who aspire to be in the broadcasting business I always say don't think don't think that people aren't listening to what you're doing or maybe not watching because you never know Literally, when I thought nobody was listening to those local Providence basketball games I was doing, there was an agent in town to see one of her clients. She heard me and the Big East office staff heard me and they assigned me my first women's basketball game on television the same year. Picture this. I Now, listen, I didn't have the advantage of studying broadcasting in college. You've already told me what I did, right? Yeah. I was a social work major. So I don't know a damn thing 
about broadcasting. Not, I don't know where to look at a camera. I don't know how to, you know, do a replay. I don't know when to speak or shut up on a broadcast. I know zip, not a nothing. But you hit the nail on the head. The game has always been the thing that I know and the strength I try to lean into. I'm not telling you I know everything about basketball, particularly the NBA guys, because the NBA is a game that is always changing shape. It's always morphing in terms of strategy and skill and all these things. So there's a lot I don't know, but that basketball saved me. I'll, I'll never forget this, you guys. I'm doing my first TV game. And again, I'm married at the time. And my husband is in sports and he says to me, you know, I'm about to do my first broadcasting game. He's like, hey, listen, navy blue works great on TV. So I go in my closet and I see the only thing I've got is a navy blue dress with a lace doily collar. <laughs> and I come out and this, he just looks at me, he goes, you're not wearing that, are you? And I said, in my head, I'm thinking, well, no self-respecting woman is going to change her outfit after that comment. So I'm <laughs> on the air with this heinous blue dress. I don't know. I'm in the open and I won't look at the camera because that red light that tells me I'm on air is absolutely freaking me out. I mean, it was a disaster. Y'all can relate. I'm sure you've had professional disasters, but it didn't go bad enough that they wouldn't put me back on TV anyway. No, oh, okay. You're a trailblazer. Oh. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, being from New York, I, I'm a New York Knicks fan yeah. my whole life. So, you know, obviously I've spent years, you know, listening to you make the call. So, um, like I said, we're, we're just excited for you to be here. We were, I wasn't even really sure what direction we we're going to take this interview or anything like that, or just wanted to hear from you, let you, let you talk about some things in your life. And, um, as, as you are, you, you are definitely the trailblazer, like Jeff says, um, you're, you're paving a pathway for a lot of women to fall in behind you. Who are some of the people that you looked up to as you became your broadcast and things? Who, who, who'd you look into to help improve your style or um, manifest, you know, the way you would announce a game, you know, play by play wise? Who, who influenced you? Well, I, I have a question. Like, so you guys, if you're, you know, obviously you're sports fans. And so I'm sure whatever sports you're watching, football, baseball, basketball, there are certain people that you maybe like their style better or it hits your ears nicely. And for me, you know, there weren't a ton of uh, women, you know, Leslie Visser was really probably the first, you know, starts her career as a, a Boston Globe reporter. Um, and then, you know, morphs over to the television side. I mean, for me, one of my big influences was Robin Roberts. Um, oh, she yeah. was, yeah, she was one of the first women that I worked beside doing women's college basketball because at that time she was on the final four and she was doing so many things for ESPN. And, you know, Robin Roberts just said to me two, two things in, in my, in my mind. And she was the most prepared person I know. And she was the most professional person I know. And it didn't, and, and, and by professional, I mean, in the way she dressed in the way she conducted her business when we went to practices and shoot arounds and spoke to these coaches, um, in her level of preparation in every way possible. And the other thing she did was, you know, I'm a young broadcaster, guys. I'm not at her level. I wasn't at her level. And yet she never made me feel anything other than, hey, we're partners on this basketball game and we're going to do the best job we can. And, uh, and, and but to my ear, my first memory of basketball, you guys, uh, was the trio 
of Dick Enberg, Billy Packer, and Al McGuire. And they were the men that on those Saturday, Sunday afternoons, I would listen to. And Al McGuire was my favorite. You know, he had all those, he just had a flair and a flavor to what he did. Um, and he wasn't so serious. Billy was more the guy who had to hit you with the X's and O's and the basketball and the strategy, where Al, I felt like, was the flavor of the broadcast. And, uh, you know, I don't know how people would interpret what I do. Hopefully, the only thing I just want when I call a game is I hope the viewer, I hope the viewer feels as close to the action as I know I'm lucky to be, because I'm trying to get you there. I'm doing the best I can to get you to that spot. Nice. Oh yeah, it's 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 an art to draw a picture for somebody listening to the game. Um, so yes, you're right. <laughs> We're yeah. trying to do that ourselves a little bit. Uh, 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 do some play-by-play and it's been a, it's an interesting it's a little bit of a struggle I don't talk a lot generally so it's hard to just keep things moving and but the whole idea in my head is drawing that picture for people to be able to to understand what's going on yeah, um, yeah. so well, people will be accepting of um you know as long as I think they feel your passion and uh and you're trying to bring them with you, I think people will be accepting, you know, sometimes I step off the air and I'm like, oh my gosh, is that how you chose to say it? Or that's the tone of voice you, you took. And, uh, you know, sometimes I don't sleep at night, you guys. So say I have to be critical of someone, that's not easy. You know, these are the best athletes in the world. And I am very mindful of the fact that I've never played or coached in the NBA. Doesn't mean I can't do a good job, I can. Um, because I, I work really hard. I, I ask these coaches every question I possibly can, um, but I'm not always right. Nobody's always right. And uh, you do the best you can, and you let the chips where they fall where they may. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting for me is, and I've said this many times, you know, we're operating in the era of uh, social media, and, and fans' access to you is direct, and sometimes it can be hurtful, particularly when social media first started. I was not a very popular person at the time. You know, they're, they're like, here's this woman calling men's college, you know, whatever. But like, you know, listen, there's people are going to like you. People are not going to like you. And you just got to do your job to the best of your ability. Yeah. And I, w- I want to kind of touch what Jamie was talking about you uh, broadcasting for the Knicks. Growing up, Moving from New York to New Jersey, it almost seems like falling into the broadcasting world of being so big in basketball, being so big into your uh, in your life that going to Madison Square Gardens and becoming the first female broadcaster there, it almost seems like you just reached Mount Everest. But I mean, you didn't let that stop you, which that that. What what was it like, be, like start when you started calling games in Madison Square Gardens? Was that a yeah. dream? Yeah. Well, so you know, and I <laughs> any Knicks fan knows the pain of the extended periods. I feel like we haven't been consistently successful since Jeff Van Gundy was the coach. Now, obviously, Jeff is one of the best broadcasters in, in the NBA. Um, yeah, it was a dream, um, and and it's interesting. First. You know, the, the, the advent of the WNBA changed changed the level of opportunity for a woman because for the first time when the WNBA came, 
I was doing about 35 college basketball games, mostly women, but sprinkled in some men in 1997. And then I could do another 30 or 35 um, WNBA games. And so for the first time in 1997, I could actually make a living as a broadcaster. And so that was huge. And I didn't get the television job at the Liberty at first. I, I, I came in second. I got the radio job. And again, I go back to another opportunity. You think, oh, but nobody's listening. And then, and this is the key. And this is, this is where change in society takes every single one of us. The head of Madison Square Garden Networks, uh, Mike McCarthy was his name. And, uh, and when I went into the Hall of Fame, I, I thanked him because it takes intrepid spirits to change things. They went the second year I did TV, he came to me and he said, listen, we, we think you're pretty good at this. And if an opportunity arises where Clyde needs a night off, the great Walt Clyde Frazier, we're gonna use you on the Knicks. And I thought, okay, that's a really kind thought, but we'll see if that ever happens. Well, that very winter, Clyde had business, I believe he's from St. Croix, he had business in St. Croix, and they, they asked me to fill in. And thank God, I had about five games that week because I flew in the morning of the game and I did the game that night. Jeff Van Gundy is the coach. I'm terrified. My heart is pounding by game time. I'm thinking, oh my God, the New York media could have a field day there. At that time, they're breaking down announcers the way they do now in the, in the papers. But, you know, I was really fortunate. Terry Porter was with the Milwaukee Bucks. He was an assistant coach. Not Terry Porter. Um, um, anyway, I, I, I have two contacts. Jeff Van Gundy, I said, the, the Knicks staff says to me, hey, what do you, the Madison Square Garden staff says, what do you need? I said, I need to speak to the assistant coach who had the scout because that's how I do my business. They're going to give you, hey, this is how we're guarding the pick and roll. This is what we're going to do with this coverage, that coverage. Well, Jeff Van Gundy gets word of it. And he said, no, 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 no. You tell Doris to come in my office at such and such a time, and I'm going to lay out the game plan. So two things happened. The network head, who was a man, was willing to take a chance on a woman in 1998. Guys, think about that. And fill in. I did a decent job. The, the media was relatively kind, but that's my point. You know, it's like, it takes everybody to make a change. Nice. Yeah. yeah the world's come so far now with the, uh, the, just the, the amount of women's sports on TV is incredible. I mean, I, I want to say it kind of, for me, started with the women's U S national team, um, soccer, obviously. And, uh, I played soccer my whole life, played all, every sport pretty much my whole life but um seeing the advances from the women's national team to now uh, WNBA um college women's college basketball I, I went to University of South Carolina for a year and a half I didn't quite last oh, the whole time so you're getting <laughs> talked about last night I'm proud I'm proud of them yeah so um had some good memories there and it was fun watching that game last night and um I really appreciate everything you've done for women in sports and it, it's really incredible to see how far we've come as a country it is isn't it can i tell you something that happened guys the other night so i'm still i'm in los angeles and uh because i've got a you know i had a game sunday and i've got the the clippers on wednesday night and just to your point right and i remember that women's national team and the 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 feel across the country invested in this group of women and you know you have the great moment at the end with the penalty kick the whole thing 
And and then last night, you know, you have Megan Rapino on the Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi alternate telecast. But guys, I got I mean, this this almost brought me to tears, and it happened in the hotel here in Los Angeles. Of course, I'm sitting at the bar because that's so unusual, right? <laughs> Where else are you going to be? <laughs> Where you got to see the game at. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm sitting at the bar and I'm having a glass of wine. And it's the national semifinal second game. And the UConn women are on. And I am watching two bartenders, two, guy, two guys, both bartenders. Bar was not too crowded. And I swear to God, I almost cried. And this is so stupid, but I hope you guys get where I'm going. Two guys are standing like back to back and their eyes are glued to the UConn game versus Stanford because it's a nip and tuck down to the wire game and they're talking strategy and they're invested in viewing it and they're talking about the game. And I thought to myself, oh my God, right? Oh my God, here are two guys. They see, you know, it's a bar. Always the best sporting event are on and they are in it. They're in this women's basketball game, and I couldn't, I'm like, holy, this is awesome. It's been exciting, it really has. I've I've caught a few games, not out, sit and watch all of them like I did last night, but yeah, Yeah. it's it's an exciting sport. I mean, it's really come so far, and you're a huge part of that. Um, It's electric out there now, it really is. It is, And, and your generation of men is just, I just love it because you're so used to me and you don't, you don't blink. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's amazing. I love it. I'll be, you're, you're a voice to me. That's the same as like Phil Rizzuto, you know, like I, I, I could recognize it any minute. You're a total, <laughs> so. you're a total New York person. <laughs> yeah, you yes. probably the Phil Rizzuto on WPIX calling the game. Oh yeah. You know, the, he tell you a story about coming over a bridge, you know, and seeing the moon over the river, and you, then all of a sudden, yeah, and there's a ball too inside. You know, it's just classic <laughs> stuff like that, you know. The best sports memories, nothing better. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, well, hey, so uh, as you've come through here, uh, you've talked quite a bit about it. Well, what do you suppose is at this point, um, you know, sort of the best game or best thing you've been able to witness as far as being on the sidelines what what a player or somebody that you've been able to interview what what's been your highlight yeah i mean there's been so many to be honest with you um um uh the the great kyao uh who's the north carolina state women's basketball coach i happened to be on the call of her first trip to the final four uh she had to beat the mighty yukon huskies at the time you know, this incredible moment. Um, I, you know, think about some of the NBA players that I've had a chance to cover. LeBron James, you know, is whatever you feel about whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the greatest of all time, whatever you feel, it's a conversation. And, you know, I watched LeBron go through all the hate in the aftermath of that poorly executed decision to go to Miami um, I could feel it, you guys. You could, the hate to him was almost something you could reach out and touch in these arenas. That's how powerful the feeling was. Um, so, and then you know, and then he he wins his championship, and then goes on to have the career. Kevin Durant. Many consider him, you know, a top ten player of all time, perhaps the greatest scorer. Um, 
you know, Stephen Curry, who, whatever you say about Stephen Curry, um, he has changed the game. You can't go to any park around America and not see kids, whatever age, taking three-point shots. And that's because of Stephen Curry. He redefined what is and is not a good shot. Um, I was there for the growth of the UConn women's basketball game program. I, remember, I played and coached against Gina Oriana. And so to see that when I was a player, that was a guaranteed win to now a team that has 11 national championships, very much like the great John, John Wooden UCLA teams. I mean, I could go on and on, to be honest with you. I think about it. I, I've been so incredibly fortunate. Yeah, and now you're watching people like Becky Hammond get opportunities like she's getting in the coaching world. There's definitely a lot more female uh, coaches out there. So, like we sit here and say, you pioneer a lot more than just being able to get on there and do the play-by-play. People recognize that. Jamie, are you trying to say that Doris might be the next uh, head coach of the Knicks, or, or what do we go? <laughs> I, I wouldn't object to that. Please, no, we need help me there. <laughs> Seems like a likely career path move right there. Uh, we we, we got to get a better roster, you know. As as good a year as Julius had here, um, you know, that was that clearly has been more the outlier of his career. He shot the three incredibly well the season before this, um, and obviously, you know, I don't want to say they snuck up on people, but it takes success in the NBA to get your opponent's attention. And now you have some, you know, hard decisions um, about, you know, where do you, where do you go from here? You've locked Julius up long term. R.J. Barrett is your best player at this point. So the Knicks, the Knicks have interesting decisions. I think it gives you some appreciation for um, when you are able to sustain success in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, what the Golden State Warriors have done, like winning in the NBA and winning consistently is hard. It is why. Whatever, again, I go back to LeBron James, whatever you're feeling about the guy, whether you like his style, don't like his style, like with, here's the fact of the matter. The guy went to what, was it eight, 10 straight NBA finals? You know how hard that is? It's mind-bogglingly hard. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly hard. With with you going through these stadiums uh, so often, is there one stadium out there that, is different to you that still maybe gives you goosebumps when you get in there because the energy it has? I'll give you a few. I'll give you a few. Um, so, so I haven't called many games in this place, but on the, so I was a sideline reporter for years, for a couple of years uh, when Dick Vitale and Dan Schulman were the number one announced team. And I was a sideline for those, those great gentlemen. And we had a couple of games at Kansas and I'm going to tell you, when Allen Fieldhouse is rocking, I swear it almost feels unsafe. It feels like the <laughs> building is moving. It's like, oh, my gosh, what is going to happen here? Um, Duke's Cameron Indoor Stadium, um, those fans are legendary. I remember, and I feel like I'm talking so much and too much, but I've got a funny story about Cameron Indoor. I'm, I'm traveling. It's a multi-game week. Uh, I've got limited outfits in my bag because you try to be economical so you're not lifting that thing into your overhead compartment, whatever. But I spill something on my blouse. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to go get something. At the time, the Maryland Terrapins have almost become a bigger rival than North Carolina because North Carolina was struggling. 
well, I don't think the last thing I'm thinking about is what am I wearing, right? My head is swimming with strategy and numbers. I go to the store and I buy a red blouse and it's terrapin red. I get to the arena and the, and I'm there, as you know, you know, several hours before the game and the, the uh, SID, the sports information director at, at Duke goes, Doris, what the hell are you doing? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, your shirt, it's Maryland red. I went, oh my God. I'm like, oh, the fans won't notice. <laughs> yeah, right. You know how the kids do that thing where they go like this with their hands and they're like, yeah. So they're killing me, you guys. A security guard is like, I got to do something. He puts his blue overcoat over me. The kids erupt. Now I got to take it off. I go to take it off to do my open hit, and they start booing. You dumbass. What are you doing with that Maryland red jersey? So I mean, oh, that's listen, great. Yeah. And here's the thing about the Knicks, right? Like, yes, you hit it on the head when you said, you know, it had to be almost intimidating to walk into a place that I watched games. Like, no matter, the Knicks have been bad for 20 years. You go into Madison Square Garden on a Saturday night, doesn't matter what the record is, and that place is electric because they love their Knicks. Nice. Yeah, I know. I know. I, do you think they need somebody like Zion to come in and make a big difference? So what, what, what do they really need? Yeah, you know, so the interesting thing about the NBA is some of the things that they have done, guys, to, um, you know, to sort of make it a little bit more balanced. Um, this, the luxury tax that they have put in has more often than not gotten you down to two superstars. So talent is more dispersed. You have to look no further than the standings in the East and West and see how close it is, one through six, and the jockeying per position between seven to 10. So the luxury tax implications, that super tax that they put in, it's made a difference. You have to have, listen, you have, here's one thing that I think is going to be fascinating this season. Devin Booker is great, but he's not a Kevin Durant, a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Nikola Jokic where it's so, but the Phoenix Suns are a well-fitted team. They have elite wing defensive pressure with Crowder and with Mikel Bridges. Um, you, you know, you have smart, savvy point guard play. As close, you know, Devin Booker is a star and an all-star, and he'll be a lock for me for first team all NBA. But it's different than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So if the Phoenix Suns can win a championship, just like Milwaukee did last year, although Giannis is that guy, does a team with that's well fitted with an all-star caliber roster versus the superstar roster, does that win? And we'll see, because it's it's an interesting thing. So many believe, yeah. many believe you need the single best player in a series in the NBA to win. That it comes down to, do you have the best guy? We'll see. Okay. Do you think uh, anybody at the top of the East is we'll say scared to to get that number one spot with Brooklyn being down low? No, I really don't. I don't. I mean, Brooklyn doesn't guard well enough. Um, they haven't showed a consistent fight um, on that end of the floor to me. And I, I just think it is really hard 
to build continuity of any kind, um, you know, with with what's happened in Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving's um, vaccine stance and all those things. Yeah. Uh, and and I just I, I just I I don't know if I agree with our, our my colleague Stephen A. Smith on the idea that if Brooklyn were to win it, it would not be great for basketball because of how choppy and inconsistent their roster has been. I, to me, guys, if, I, if you were going to put pressure on me and say, who do I think is going to be in the NBA Finals? Right now, I'd pick Phoenix-Milwaukee. I'd, I'd pick a remix of last year's championship. There's continuity. Um, they're battle-tested. They know who they are and how they win. Um, there's, there's some good depth on both sides. Um, you know, who knows how it's going to turn? Who knows if there's a key injury or not? But if I were to pick today who I thought would be in the finals, I'd pick Milwaukee Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm ready to watch the finals right now. <laughs> <laughs> the, playoffs, the playoffs are going to be absolutely great. I'll, I will give you one name that's circulating for the New York Knicks. Uh, that Because there's so much conversation around the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz have had a group that's been together for a bit. Quinn has been, you know in that coaching seat for a long time. I, I do think Quinn Schneider is one of the best coaches in the NBA, but, but you know how life in the NBA is. You're going to get your window of off time. And if you don't find success for whatever reason, things are going to change, right? This yeah. is a results-based business. And I, I'm hearing a lot of things about Donovan Mitchell wanting to be in a New York Knicks uniform, whether it's true or not. I don't know. It's been written about. There's a lot of pressure on this jazz organization. They acknowledge that pressure internally. Uh, it hasn't aired yet, but I did sit down with Donovan Mitchell and talk a little bit about that. He said, listen, the pressure is real. We have a tremendous burden on our shoulders. We know we need to be successful or this is probably going to change. And so I don't know if Donovan Mitchell, how would you guys feel if Donovan Mitchell makes his way to the New York Knicks? I would think that was awesome. I'm sure yeah. Jamie would love it. Yeah, I I I would vote for that one. I like yeah. hearing that rumor. Yeah, he could yeah, make it. Have- that's really been the one thing with them is just solid point guard play, yeah. even though they've got a couple of retreads out there. But um, no, he would be big difference. That I'd like to see them be able to get him out there and be able to use Cam Reddish a little more too. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, Tom Thibodeau. He's just. Uh, I think Cam because Cam is young. But you look at Jamie, you look at Cam, you know, six foot eight, built like a perfect basketball player. But like most young guys, you know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I got to put the ball in the basket to get on the floor. And in Tom Thibodeau, yeah. he's thinking, no, no, no. You're six eight, you're hyper athletic, you've got incredible wingspan, you've got unbelievable lateral quickness. I need you to guard and I need you to be committed to the defensive end of the floor and trying to convince. What you know? What were we all like at the age of 21, 22? I don't want to be judged by what, what I was at twenty-one. He's got to figure it out. Uh, Jamie, uh, yeah. I know oh, because I'm seeing that Yankee thing behind you. <laughs> what What was your like? So my memories of the Yankees were were Ron Guidry on the on the mound. Yeah. Chris Champ was at first. Willie Randolph at second. Mickey in center. Yeah. Like, what was your favorite Yankee team? Um, well, probably my all-time favorite player just from watching was Donnie Baseball, Donnie Mattingly. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
he's the one Yankee that never got a championship. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's, I hate that for him. Uh, but ultimately, man, I wanted to be Greg Nettles. That, yeah. that was love it. Three B, baby. I love getting dirty on on the ball field, um, di- making diving plays. That was my thing, and I and I wore and during my career, I actually put a Willie Randolph baseball card in my hat because I played second base. No way, that's so, so great. It, it's pretty much those '80s teams that those yeah. '80s teams that I really kind of grab onto with those guys. Yeah. Um, I would watch them on WPIX, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, at 11 o'clock, right after them, the Honeymooners would come on. And it'd be summertime. I was a little kid. I'd watch the Yankees for several hours, and then I'd watch the Honeymooners, and then I'd go up to bed. And I, I That's just, right. I love oh. that. Think about it. Mickey was off for a long time, and then when he finally left, Willie moved up to, to lead off in the lineup. Yep. Mickey Rivers, yeah, he was fun to watch. Yeah, uh, Willie Randolph, but Bucky Dent was in there for a little while. Bucky Dent <laughs> broke the hearts of Red Sox fans. He hit that thing over the Big Green Monster, and then people in Boston lost their minds. Yeah, it's, yeah. until Boston was able to get a championship, that's the game everybody talked about. <laughs> but Chris Chambliss, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, you know, um, absolutely. Goose Gossage. Yeah, can't, Louis can't. Louis T. <laughs> yeah, we could go on for a while with those names. They were great. They were great teams. Fun to watch. I remember Louisiana Lightning. He used to wear those Puma spikes. He'd be up there and he threw it so hard and so fast. He was something and, else. And for a guy that wasn't, you know, a towering figure at all, you know, yeah. he you, you did not want to get up to bat against him. True. That's true. <laughs> He's like everybody was scared of him, like they were scared of Randy Johnson, and he was just that's right. You know, that's about right. Yeah. size next to Randy Johnson. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, those are yeah. So you grew up there. You definitely know a little bit about all that. Now you know some of those early Knicks seasons were you know those those years with the Knicks with Bernard King, right? And guys like that. Those are fun Knicks games to watch too. And I don't know, and, and I've had the really incredible fortune. If you want to know one of the great storytellers of all time in, the, in, in basketball history, it's Hubie Brown. Uh, Brown was the coach of the Knicks at that time. And before before Bernard's knee injury, guys, you'd, you know, and Hubie Brown always talks about I've learned so much about the game from Hubie Brown. He, he often told me, he's like, Doris, he goes, look at what a coach is doing. Is he getting his best player? shots where the player is most comfortable and they'd enter the ball to Bernard King on the left box. And when he was healthy, the NBA had nothing for him, nothing for him. He was that good. And, uh, and boy, I'll tell you, Hubie Brown is, if you think about the history of basketball, I don't think there's a person alive who has, who has taught the game of basketball or probably affected more generations of basketball people than Hubie Brown, because for years, he was flying around the world and teaching the game. And we see the growth of basketball in Europe, right? You've got the Spanish national team, the Argentinian national team, all these. And that, to me, you cannot understate, you know, Hubie Brown's influence on teaching the game across the world. And he's been an incredible colleague to me. I have to give a shout out to 
the Jeff Van Gundys and the Mark Jacksons and Huey Browns who, you know, um, again, I've never played or coached in the NBA. So to sit in that analyst chair, they, they take every call. When I don't understand something, they take the time to explain it to me. Um, they, especially early on in my coverage, they just have been incredible teammates. And, uh, so I'm, I'm so appreciative of all of those guys. That's awesome. Now you, you mentioned when I said I'm ready for the NBA finals, you mentioned the playoffs. you you said you're in LA right now. How crazy is your schedule about to get? Will it get like a hundred times crazier once the playoffs start? Yeah. Well, first of all, my life is so much better, and I think my coverage is so much better. So I used to cover men's college, women's college, and the NBA. And trying to keep up, those are really three distinctly different sports. And trying to keep up with all three was a challenge. That was when my life was at its absolute craziest. Um, You know, it, it goes and fits and starts. So in the last couple of weeks, I have traveled to Minnesota to interview Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That aired, it's like, you do an hour interview and, you know, snippets of that air. Um, the next day I traveled to Charlotte to interview Donovan Mitchell. And then I went home for about 36 hours and then flew out here for two games, actually taped a commercial on Saturday, um, have a speaking engagement tomorrow. So it, it's like fits and starts for me. Once the playoffs start, believe it or not, it settles in a little bit because ESPN's coverage the first couple of weekends is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, and I don't have games on every one of those days. The number one team works the most. And then, so then I'll travel home probably Sunday and be home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then start to travel again. The hard part is usually the last month because I could be on the road literally for almost a month at a time where in this year once once i'm done once there's only a certain number of games i'll move to radio as the analyst for the conference finals and finals okay um i and i'm gonna be a grandmother for the first time in mid-may congratulations thank you i'm so excited but that'll be hard, you know, like the conference finals literally start the day of my daughter's due date. So I might be, st- I'm thankful I have the Eastern conference finals mm-hmm. wherever they may be. Cause I'll be able to sneak back <laughs> home to, to see the grandchild. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't, I don't want to hey, take di- up. Oh. How different is uh how different is Los Angeles when you have the Lakers playing compared to to the Clippers, what's that arena like? It has to be completely different. It's a, it's, Jamie, it's incredible because, listen, the ownership and the management of play Clippers have done this incredible job, right? They have hired all the right people. They have tried every marketing campaign. What you learn here quickly in Los Angeles is the Lakers are in the soul of the city of LA. It is like, to me, the New York Yankees in New York right. and know that there's a contingent of Mets fans and maybe I miss that. I don't know, but I'm just telling you the Lakers seem to me, if I were to try to describe it, it's in the soul of this city and the Lakers to this point have still hold preeminence in terms of excitement and passion. 
I mean, think back to a year ago when it looked like the Lakers and the Clippers before everything transpires with the injuries and stuff. People thought you could have an all L.A. final in the Western Conference finals. And they were talking about the Lakers would have a seven game home series because that's how passionate Lakers fans are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very true. They are it's a, it's they're in the soul of the city for sure. The Clippers played last night. So I had a three thirty, well, twelve thirty local tip for the Lakers. And as soon as we walked out of the arena, they broke down the crypto.com arena and the Clippers were playing that night. What's, what's going to be interesting to see is I think they've broken ground on the new arena. I think, you know, when they get their own space and if they have success, does it change the feeling? I don't know yet. Yeah. Hopefully it does. Yeah, <laughs> you, you need, yeah. The Clippers needed to change. <laughs> Maybe make it a smaller stadium. Don't go as big as uh, <laughs> Yeah, just, it seems like no matter how good they get, they just never feel like you get they get the full backing from LA. So I was wondering what it was like. You're a hundred. It's exactly right. I want to thank you for joining us, Doris, oh, uh, and giving us so fun. much information. I mean, we'd love to have you have you on again. Um, it yeah, was... if you if you want to talk in the NBA finals or conference finals, feel free to hit me up. All right, so, definitely. We're great to chat with. Thank you so much for happy, having me, and thank you for your kindness. Yeah, thank you. And I want to remind everybody yeah. that interview was with Doris Burke. You can catch her. You said Wednesday. You're going to be um, on a- ESPN. That's the... exactly right. For the uh, Clippers versus the Phoenix Suns game. So catch that 10 p.m. Eastern time. And again, thank you for joining us. And hopefully we'll talk, we'll talk soon. See you yeah. down the road. If I come to Savannah, I got to meet all three of you now. Yep, That's right. definitely. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know where to eat when you get here for sure. Oh, <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. Thank Take you. Care. Take care. Have a good day. Yes, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Man, and where do we go from here now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want uh, everybody just to take a really quick break for some station identification. Um, yeah, I know. We normally do it at uh, at 11.30, but, I mean, when you got Doris Burke on your radio she's show and she tells you she's going to talk to you for 30 minutes and she's just giving you awesome story after awesome story sometimes you gotta gotta make the uh the people happy you're listening to wruulp savannah georgia 107.5 fm wruu.org we are savannah soundings community radio with global soul do you own a small business do you want to get your message out to a dedicated loyal and active audience then make WRUU part of your company's marketing strategy. Our listeners aren't just passively listening to us in the background. When your company underwrites with WRUU, you're getting their attention. And you're also supporting Savannah's only community radio station. It's an act of both self-interest and community spirit. Connect your brand with WRUU's passion, spunk, and hyper-local focus by choosing an underwriting package that fits your company's budget. Email underwriting at wruu.org for more information. Thank you. This portion of WRUU's programming 
is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. Senior Citizens Incorporated is looking for volunteer Meals on Wheels drivers. A few hours each week will connect some of our area's most vulnerable residents with nutritious food and a regular knock on the door. For more information, contact Laura at 912-964-5411. All right, and as we are wrapping the show up, I want to thank everybody for joining us and listening to that interview we just had with ESPN's Doris Burke. And I want to remind you guys, this Saturday, the Savannah Falcons are landing back at the Nest Memorial Stadium. April 9th at 6.30 is the kickoff. 101 John J. Scott Drive, Savannah, Georgia. $10 a ticket. Kids 10 and under are free. Check out Savannah Falcons at Savannah Falcons Semi-Pro Team, and they're going back up against the Effingham Outlaws. Last time, Falcons won by a little bit, but there were some uh, penalties, and hopefully things have gotten cleaned up because your Savannah Falcons just brought the win back home to Savannah after going to Atlanta and defeating the Atlanta Tigers 20 to 0 for their second shutout in a row. So Hey Glenn, did did you post that uh that video on Facebook yet of the Yeah, the there's video? <clears throat> there's a highlight video if you go to uh the Savannah Falcons facebook page uh we may have shared it on our page too i'll have to talk to the director of social media at the bring it in show and see uh if they got the memo to post it or not and um yeah the highlight of the last game yeah that was incredible man well well done well 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 done putting that together yeah that got me excited man Uh, everybody go check it out and uh get excited because it should be an awesome game last time out the falcons had like four or five interceptions two fumbles two sacks um the defense was all over the place third string running back uh samson from richmond hill area he got between 78 to 100 yards that game i believe so it's uh they're looking the falcons have just been putting everything back together and after i mean it's not as much practice as like a high school or college team would have but after a couple games it sounds like the uh wide receivers and quarterbacks are on a better page to thrown touchdowns to Tory Worlds 
yesterday nice. and uh, one rushing touchdown from George Grant, the quarterback, and a two-point com- it might have been twenty-two to zero. I haven't seen the official score because then I heard uh, um, Jordan, the running back, had a really long two-point conversion. Maybe they got backed up or something. So <laughs> a long two. Wait, what? What's going on with the kicker? The kicker was unbelievable last year. Is he still there? Um, he probably. I. I. Don't know for sure, but I want to say he may be stationed around Jacksonville now. So he probably wasn't able to make the uh, Atlanta game. Actually, only 20 players were able to make that Atlanta game. So they played really tough. Almost every, or like half the teams playing uh, on both sides of the ball. I was talking to Devin King, um, defensive end. He said he was filling in that offensive line, D end, and he's not he's not an offensive lineman. I mean, he's a good D end. He's a great D end, but he was like, I I can't I can't constantly play offensive line and make it work, but they they made it work, so playing all, special teams, everything. So Crazy. Yeah. Jamie, you had a good thing going with Doris, man. You guys know about the Yankees. Old oh, man, you guys are like best friends already. I know. I know. <laughs> I, was, I was just checking to see if she had maybe DM'd me yet, but I guess not yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> man, that is, oh, that that was there, was a, there was a little New York connection there, so we we clearly close to the same age and, and better, you know, know the New York that sports people pretty well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was a- you guys yeah. grew up watching the same uh the same games. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that is awesome. Um and I wanna remind everybody if you're just tuning in now, you can uh go find the interview. It'll be posted on WRUU's website and wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. Just uh like, subscribe. All that good social media stuff to the Bring It In show. You know. That's so right. that is awesome interview. And uh, besides... Who, who y'all got in the ship tonight, man? North Carolina. Oh, I got... We got at least pig. Wait, Glenn. What? Do we have anything on either one of these No, teams? we don't. I couldn't, fi- <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> no. I it I, well, I, was me find that. I was like, we should get some money on UNC and Kansas to win it. This is like, what, Sweet 16 or something? Elite 8? Elite 8, I think. Well, oh, yeah, when you told, yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, throw some money on St. Peter's anyway. And then I was like, nah, they're probably not going to go further. No, I, right. I, I would, uh, I I got Kansas winning it. Uh, I think you, it's going to be a good game. UNC's been playing so well. What do you guys think? I, I think Kansas. I, I think Kansas I, is due. Yeah, they're due. I kind of yeah, I kind of root for. I like to see UNC do it now that they're an eight going in there. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Well, I was I saw this morning that uh, the only eight to ever win is uh, was uh, Villanova back in 1985 when they beat Georgetown with uh, Patrick Ewing. So, you know, 
It's, it's only happened three times. This is the fourth time. I bet Doris Burke would remember that game. I bet she would. You know she would. <laughs> she was covering, I think she was covering a Big East then. No, she was playing back at that point. Oh, wasn't she? Maybe, maybe that's be why. That was yeah. probably her senior year, I would think. Okay. Yeah, that's probably right. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, because right around. Yeah, because she because she kind of got started in like 1990. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. She was probably playing. Did you know that she held seven records when she graduated? Providence yeah, records. I, I just looked it up, man. I couldn't believe all those records she had. Thank you. For I know it's the first thing I saw. I was like, oh my god, Monday, I didn't know that. A.m. She's ahead of her time with everything, noon. man. And always stay tuned to 107.5. You're listening to the You guys keep talking if you want. Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. WRUU.org, Savannah Soundings, Community Radio, Global Soul. The viewpoints expressed in the preceding program were not necessarily those of WRUU, its audience holder, or its staff. They're not ready for it.